welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. And Malik. Taylor couldn't make it today. She has to babysit the nieces and nephews. Or nephews. Nieces. I know. I think I think you gotta give a shout out real quick. Okay, give a shout out. So you know the Angela State Rams baseball team. Yeah. The College World Series right now. They're playing Ooh. Southern New Hampshire. It is tied one one at the end of the third inning right now. You know, at the time that we release this, because we release it in ten days, we all already have known if they won or lost. That is true. The whole thing. Congratulating right now for winning. We had right straight up confidence that you're going to win the whole thing. Okay, enough about sports. Save it for the sports. Oh, you know what else we need to announce that um, we didn't talk about on the last episode. Okay, so you might have noticed if you got on Spotify or Apple Podcast or any of the other platforms. But when you looked up Crime on Primetime to listen to it, there was a new network name. My name was not on it anymore. There is a new network name. It's called Troll Tide Network. Do y'all, do y'all want to explain to him why we call it a Troll Tide Network? Malik will. Go ahead. Cause you are the captain. Basically, it's how we all started hanging out together. We may have known each other separately, maybe one or two yeah. here or there. But that's how we all started hanging out together. What is so together. It is our intramural flag football team that travels slash on campus plays everything else. It's a brother. Best it's a family. In the nation. What some people might think of at ASU as the underdog team that took over Hashtag, the little things that could. Hashtag 16-0. Hashtag now goes legends. In what, 2019, we made it to... To the finals. Nationals. National finals. And there's a lot of people that don't know that exists. But it does exist. Just know at Angelo State, intramurals is a very big deal. Or at the time, it was a very big deal before COVID. It kind of dipped off a little bit. But it was it was serious. We weren't playing no games. I did the math one time of, like, how many games we played of, like, every sport together. And I can't remember the number, but it's in the thousands. Just think of the fact that we played... Four times a week. Pitch, pitch, play up to four times a week all the way through college. So four times a week for me, like six years. Oh my God. Throughout the year. It came out to like a thousand something games. And the thing, okay, so the other thing is that, so we were all on Troll Tide together, but Malik, the year that we made it to Nationals, was the captain, and me and A Rod were co captains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, that's really, y'all just became best friends from that. The boys are still trying to talk us into troll tie tattoos. If you want to know how serious it is, I have a troll tie tattoo on my chest. If you want to know the seriousness. And it's like, no, uh, we didn't start troll tied. There's like generations of troll tied before us and they have troll tie tattoos. We were just like eight years old when we started already like the team but good time anyway so yeah in in remembrance in honor of what brought us together of the legacy 
that we made at Angelo State and in the Troll Tide organization, we named our Troll Tide Network. Um, or named it Troll Tide Network, and you know, you might see some shows. Who knows? Popping out, popping in. Who knows? We'll see what life has to offer down the road, but yeah, just a little explanation of why that changed. But in the meantime, Malik, do you have a question? See, it's an easier question for you guys. So what shows, because obviously no one wants to work forever, y'all get rich quick scheme or your way into retirement? Uh, I'm robbing banks. Oh, no. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I have, like, a specific, like, I'm going to quit my job and this is what I'm going to do because I'm going to make so much more money doing it retire earlier um but i'm learning how to make decorative cakes and by learning i mean trial it and erroring because i really haven't watched any how-to videos so i'm just winging it um so i'm making cakes and i'm hoping that i can get good um so that i can sell them and have a little side hustle of making cakes and actually after the first time i made i posted them all on facebook and it's very nice lady. Michelle Riney, if you're listening, oh gosh, I love you. What you messaged me about wanting me to make you cakes or ordering for me. And that was so sweet. I wish I could, but you live in Texas and I'm not good enough to know how to ship from Denver to Texas or whatever. But um, I never think, of, I, I don't think I've ever thought of like anything like that to help me retire early. I think I just always assume I'm going to work to the day I die. And then... Mm-hmm. Probably like the only thing like I ever thought it was like a Roth, like an IRA account, and all that, just building up money. But yeah, that's probably the only thing. And then you know stocks, swinging the the boom. Yeah, I think I really want to get into into real estate slowly but surely. See that stresses me out, man. Well. Yeah, it, it sketches me out a little bit sometimes, but it depends on how you do it. So, like, one of our old bosses, actually both of them. So, you know, if you stay in the house for, like, three years, three or four, sorry, three or four, two, three, one, two, then you don't have to pay taxes on it when you when you sell it. And then if you go from there, then you buy your next house and use the leftover money to fund the other rental or whatever, and then you just keep going, keep going in that same process. Or you can do what I offered to A-Rod the other day, but he was being an asshole. <laughs> I was like, you can get a bunch of friends in, and then you can buy houses that way. It doesn't start off, the profit starts off very minimal, because it's a bunch of people split in one house, but you can build it a lot faster. You know, Dalton has a condo here that he owns. And right now, it worked out that his brother is moved to Colorado, and is renting it from him, and he's living with me. But we have talked about that if it, if slash when his brother moves out, that we'll turn it into an Airbnb and make money on it that way. Yeah, I see why not. See, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. That or I really would like to open up a gym would be nice. Let's start with the smaller one. Me and Dalton were making jokes because he makes homemade pastas. They're so good. Um, and I make cakes 
So I was like, we need to open like a catering business and we can call it like carb nation because it's straight carbs, cake and pasta. On I heard catering. I heard food industries are the hardest to get to get into. Yeah. I don't think we're really going to do that, but I would like to do just like word of mouth cake warriors. Like I don't, you know, friends and then like friends of friends and kind of just do it that way out of my own house. I don't want it to be like a big thing. I just like here and there make a cake. But when we bought our kayaks, because we bought them used, um, which is how we got a really good price for them. But the guy that we bought them from was like, yeah, you can also rent them out to like your friends and stuff. Because apparently that's what he did with the kayaks when he wouldn't be using them. He'd friends would want to borrow borrow them or whatever and he was like yeah i just charged them like 50 dollars for a day he's like i made all my money back on them i was like damn okay kids if you would charge me for a kayak the end of the friendship would end right there i was like you know all right i see i see where we stand i know well one i was like shocked and two i was like what friends like If, like, my friend was like, can I borrow your car, kayak, it'd probably be, I would never have, it would never have crossed my mind to be like, yeah, but it's, like, $50 for the day, and then you you charge him $120 for the week, which that's actually, like, a fair price, because kayaks are fairly expensive to rent, but. I get, like, maybe coworkers or colleagues, but not my friends. I know, I guess it depends how close, I was like, how close are you with these people? Yeah. All right, are y'all ready to get into this episode? Tell them what episode we watched this weekend. <laughs> we watched Law and Order SVU, the OG, which really isn't the OG, but at this point it has clingering to the OG. Season 7, episode 13, Blast. Okay, so when I saw the title Blast, I thought this was a different episode in my mind. It was that episode when the kid brought accidentally, he didn't accidentally, but he brought the gun to school and he accidentally saw the guys. He saw him murder someone. So he set off the gun and accidentally shot a different girl. I thought In my head, it was that episode. It was not. I thought, I thought this is the one with the nanny and her brother stole the kid. That's the one I... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he like, wrapped them up in a... Like a carpet. That's the one I thought this mm-hmm. was. Yeah, but the parents were involved, or one of the parents were involved. And anyways, off. Yeah. That's another episode. But really I, episode. But I, apparently, at this, once this episode started, I like I knew it. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this episode. Um. So let's let's get into it. It opens with little girl Carly being kidnapped into a van straight from the street. The crossing guard is such a good Samaritan for trying to help. She looked like she actually cared. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. How did this little girl think to remember the license plate? The other little girl. It always blows my mind. I don't think I would have ever been like, let me look at the license plate. I'm going to make sure to train my daughter up on those things. I feel yeah. whoever her parents were, they did a great job. They did yeah. a hell of a job. Anyways, so yeah. throughout this whole show, obviously, you know, someone does it. Are, how they're not are there two people who kidnap her because i'm pretty sure he they throw her in the van and then the van drives off i don't remember like does that make sense you know what i'm saying i just remember her going into the van and then the van was going off 
Well, those kind of bands, well, it could be true, but those kind of bands, you can like just from the seat go straight into the back. Yeah, you can go straight into the into the front. It just felt like I'm happy. Yeah, I felt like it should be a two person operation, like a driver and then a person that grabs her. Because he definitely would have had to close the door, sit her down, and then he drove off. That all happened really quickly. Like there was no time for him to like put make her sit in a seat or for her not to just open the door and jump out. Because he obviously never ties her up or anything. Yeah. Just more questions for Dick Wolf, man. We gotta we gotta start making a list. I'm gonna talk to Dick. <laughs> um. So the van was found with a homeless man and blood in the van. Suspect number one is Joel Mater. Who is a convicted pedophile that has been sin- seen sitting outside Carly School? Can't do that as a pedophile. No, sir. It's never a good look when they try to run. Yeah, when they knocked on the guy's door. And he immediately ran. That's the clearest sign that I definitely did something that I was not supposed to do. And what's funny, he literally probably could have got off since he actually didn't do it. But he ran immediately because he had kitty porn on Which, his laptop. Yeah, I tell you he's doing something. And then I said, what was he hiding that was worth killing himself? I feel like it was just the kitty porn, I guess. Oh, you asked? Yeah. He just didn't want to go to jail again. Yeah, he had a laptop of uh It had the kitty the pictures on it. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the kid that they were looking for. No. Oh, so evidence he was still hunting children. <laughs> what I wrote. All of the blood was Carly's from a nosebleed. And it turns out she has leukemia. Man, I struggled to spell the word leukemia last night. I, don't even, I, I crossed it out three, four times and said I put blue. You know how I figured out how to spell it? If you keep the captions on and you just pause it. Well, I see you're right. I was like, well, how do you spell the first part? But what a way to find out you have cancer. Right. A ransom call was made while Warner was there. The kidnapper can see Warner is with them. That's very, very creepy. Nothing is creepier than when you get a phone call and they're describing your actions and you don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. That was bold of her to go to the window. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Get away. That's like... Like, that's one thing they tell you. Don't get near the window. So, oh, fuck this. I would have sent one of them. Hey, go look out the window. I ain't looking out the window. See, I would have been like, what am I doing right now? And I would just be doing something random. Does he know the more scientific explanation? Is it a doctor? Because she was like, he has, she has leukemia. And he's like, prove it. And so she gets into all the science part of it. And I was like, does he know what she's talking about? He said, that's a lot of big words. That's how you and I, he he just wanted to hear some big words. (laughs) I was like, did I prove it for you? Did you get that part? That's how I knew he sounded like a moron. Say something doctor-like to me. All right, dummy. The ransom is 300,000 by that night. So again, not a lot of, like, you think you can just go to a bank and get $300,000 in cash? That's not how that works. God, that cell phone is so old. She went into the bathroom and was there. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That was a really, really smart way for the police to get involved without letting the kidnapper know. Oh, when they did the little switcheroo with the uh, uh, delivery thing. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of genius. That might be one of the most the smartest police moves I've seen. In one I of wonder these how shows. often they do things like that because that is. Pretty I feel like not very often, but it is really smart. I feel like that's something Dick Wolf just came up with in the writers' room. I feel like it has to. That has to be like a New York thing where people live in buildings because I wouldn't work anywhere else. I was trying yeah. to find out. I was trying to find out who that other guy was in the box. It's and just so, a window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is this extra? Yeah, and don't worry. Two a... guys Two guys came in. Two guys are leaving. I said, oh, okay. That's, yeah, he was just the random they needed to do the switcheroo. Mm-hmm. But why Elliot just wasn't in the box? Like, why did they have to change? Why? Because Elliot was the guy that made the delivery. The random guy was in the box. But why was Elliot not just in the box and the random guy made the delivery the whole time? Why do they have to switch roles? <laughs> Who knows? How did he get $300,000 so fast? He did. Uh, oh, dad. Wait, oh, dad. But I just don't think you're allowed to do that at the bank. I don't think you can just show up to the bank and say, I want $300,000 in cash, no matter where it's coming out of. And they're like, okay. I don't yeah, think... Now. Yeah. People oh, carry cash yeah. like that. Maybe back then, probably. But definitely Maybe. getting that now. Yeah, there's not enough cash for that to be happening. Um, it's a targeted hit, so they must know the family. A fax? <laughs> question mark, exclamation, question mark. Kidnapping instructions through a fax machine? <laughs> so Warner is a badass. All I wear, oh, no context, but she is. She's the You're, I always liked her throughout the whole show. Yeah. yeah, I do like her throughout the She's the one that seems like the most level-headed. I do like her a lot. Every time they, like, try and play her as soft, she always has, they always give her, like, a moment of, don't forget, like, she's a badass. She is a badass. So I have no context, but that's, you don't need any for Warner. She is a badass. She did so. say she served in Desert Storm. Maybe that was the badass comment I made. <laughs> it's like a New York scavenger hunt when she was going around fighting all of the things. Oh, yeah. She had to find go to a certain place yeah. on the phone under the dumpster. Elliot's face in the trunk was creepy. I did not... Him being in the trunk did not like it. Like, just let her do her thing. I feel like she... I don't know what you were planning on doing in the trunk, but... It was creepy. Carly is alive in the car at the drop. Freaking security guard ruined everything. Hey, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. You big old dummy, man. In his defense, he didn't know, but... You would thought someone could communicate with, like, security or... You would have thought that would come across someone's mind. Yeah. Why wouldn't he let the girl go once he got the money? Sodium chloride was found after the car left. Suspicious. That's salt. Sodium chloride? Yeah. I don't know. You're the STEM major. You tell yeah. me. It's salt. I'm going to say it confidently. So I feel like they were playing it off as something else, but then it's like... Okay, but then they were trying to sound real smart. He loves sodium chloride, so he left salt. 
um, Elliot suspects the dad knows something, like maybe in a fair yeah. mistress. They can find them. They can find the machine that printed the facts by the paper. That was a little too out there for me. I was like, "There's no way. There's no way you can find the fax machine by the paper used." After, after you fax something, some machines at the bottom it has like a tag of like oh. the fax machine it came from, kind of like a return to sender thing. Oh, okay, so that makes more. That. that makes more sense because I was like, "There's no way you looked at this paper and." It showed you exactly everything you need to know. Everything you need to know. No backup? Just Craig and Stabler when they found the warehouse where the girl's at? They're like, we, it just needs to be us. We've got this. Every time they bring Craig in, I, I don't understand it. Also, Elliot does like some weird, unnecessary jacket unzip. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Like, they're jogging around, and then I think they realize where she might be, and he like unzips his jacket a little bit, and then he starts running off. Because I remember and... thinking, oh, he's about to take his jacket off and get serious. Nope. He just unzips it a little bit more and then starts running he was around. Just getting a little toasty. Yeah, he was getting high. They broke that log too easy, man. They said, oh, brand new log. And then literally, in like two seconds, they broke the log off that door. Yeah, with some shitty like... crowbar from a junk. In box. actuality, if you found the location of your missing kidnapped victim, you're like, it's this warehouse, you wouldn't just send two cobs. You all go fight in there. You would have the SWAT team. You don't know what you're going to encounter. They don't know just the girls in there. And they just like walk on in. I was laughing at um when they go into the building. Stable is like, oh, this door is open. Starts running towards the door. And Craig was like, or this new lock's on here. It could be in here. <laughs> That's the part that got me. Well, they found Carly drugged with cough syrup. She had hypothermia and overdose. But the episode still has half of their left. Not over. Why is Stabler acting weird? Because he went to, like, they got Carly and everyone was like, go home. Go home. And he was like, yeah, go home. Why is he acting weird? Just go home. Turns out. Yeah, I brought. Yeah, and then my next line was like, oh, it's because this was during the time him and his wife was having problems. Yeah. They split, like, two times before they actually get divorced, I think. They never get divorced. You know, he always gets, like, he always gets, like, this when it involves, like, a little girl and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They never got divorced. Oh, I thought they did that the last time. I thought he gets divorced. No, because organized crime starts with Elliot coming back and his wife being killed. And that's how that whole thing starts as he comes back. But yeah. They stayed together. Oh, okay, okay. Good for now. Um, Carly said her kidnapper was nice and made her the childhood dream Carly's brother called a choco fizzy. Not interesting he knew how to make a choco fizzy. Yeah, another another question. How old is Carly? It probably said. She's in elementary, so no older than eight, ten. Okay, so if it's ten, that's believable. But if you, like, skip forward a little bit, the brother's been gone for... Five years. She, how would she even remember what a chocolate fizzy is? 
if she's only if she's less than ten. Anything less than ten, she would be. Some kids can remember from early age. Or this is a continuancy. Can there's a word for errors in movies when the timeline doesn't line up? Might be one of those. I'm on the. I'm on you, Dick. Dick, can we got some questions? You got some explaining to do. The mom immediately blames her 23-year-old son that they haven't talked to in five years since he's a cocaine addict. Carly almost accidentally took his cocaine stash, and that's when the parents kicked him out. I kind of don't blame him. They were trying. They didn't just say, you're doing cocaine, and kick him out. They They knew he had a problem and were trying to help him in all the ways they knew how. But once it escalated to the point where it almost endangered their other child... I have nothing against parents who kick their kids out for doing illegal activities. I have nothing against them. Once they're of of age, once they get 18, if you've tried to help them, I have no no problem with it. Yeah. His dad still keeps in touch, and Daniel asked him for money not long before Carly's kidnapping, but the dad said it was too much. He was like, that's a a lot of money. That's when I was like, exactly how much did he ask for, buddy? Three hundred thousand, maybe. Yeah, right. And now Daniel is shooting up the bank. <laughs> First of all, where did, who gave this man a Mac Ten? That's that's one thing. And two, I don't ever get why drug dealers let crackheads run up these tabs, and then where do they expect to get the money back from? I feel like that's just bad business. <laughs> you tell those dealers? drug dealers, Malik. Like, like, you know. Like, there's a 95% chance you're not going to see that money. Yeah, like... Even higher. If you can't pay at the time of transaction, then why are you even handing over the drugs? Yeah. Like, what What about this crackhead that just walked up to you? Makes, Makes you think that he's going to pay. Yeah. So now you, now you got to kill this dude. Now you got to kill him. I mean, and then you're in this whole other mess, and you just killed him for no reason. We could have avoided the whole problem together. This dude is unhinged, unhinged with no plan. I'm pretty sure he's coked out. He's like, all right, I'll just go straight to the bank, shoots it up, and has no idea how he's going to get out of the bank, how he's going to get the money. He planned nothing. What's funny, though, if Elliot and Warner weren't there, he probably would have gotten away because they pretty much give up the money without a fight. Like, yeah. he goes to, back to the vault, yeah. not far like, oh, away. Shoot. Yeah, the vault's oh, like... 20 feet away, which is not true in any bank ever where you can just walk and the bolts and it's visible. It's right there. Tiniest bank ever. Oh, this money? You want this money right behind me? Oh, right behind me? Let me just grab it for you real quick. So he does everything right. It just so happens Elliot and then we're there. Yeah. He well, he's high, so that explains it. That was my next comment. (laughs) He cares Oh goodness! Don't yell at me. He owes, he owes some guys money, or he's dead. So back to that problem. Kind of sounds like the parents were trying their best given their circumstances. They did love him. They were trying to help him. Did he really think he could shoot inside a bank and the police not be called? He was so so shocked the police. Why are they here? My dude, you just shot up a bank. Why do you you think you can just do that and no one's going to call anybody? 
um, another security guard fucking things up. <laughs> God, that security guard sucked at Amy, He's, bro. I was, oh my, bro. Once again, 20 feet away. You miss? He missed multiple times. When the lights were bright, he could hit. He's probably nervous. But that's too Why episode. stand up? Why stand up if you're Why nervous? Because it's his nervous. job. You can't be nervous in that job. Now he shot his father. That's my next line. The security guard fucked up and he shot his father. Yeah, I wrote dad's fucked up. <laughs> That's what I wrote. And, the, and then I wrote, the SWAT guy might have a point. When he was talking to Craig and the SWAT guy was like, we just need to go in there. And Craig was like, no, we need to try to talk him down. And the SWAT guy actually had a pretty good plan. Because his plan wasn't even to, like, shoot him. It was just very a clear and strategic entry plan. We're like, that sounds like you might just need to listen to that guy. A little shock and awe. I love SWAT guys in movies because they're always like, just let me shoot him. Like, let's just avoid the whole problem. Just let me fuck you. Don't, I'm right there with them. What's the weird the man of crime? Yeah. He didn't want to shoot him. He didn't. Then, it wasn't even, and we're going to shoot him. It was just like, hey, we can just take him down if we do this. And Craigan's like, no. Yeah. It was some guy on the radio that said it. He's like, I got a shot. I was like, yeah, I love these guys. Just fucking shoot them. They already committed a crime. They're just hostages. Just shoot them. Let's be done. We've been here too long. All right. That technical strategy seems very aggressive. I don't remember what it was, but it was a little aggressive. But I'm pretty sure he never... Or ran through the wall with the truck and just shock him and he'd be so stunned at what's going on. And then bring, I think, like, flashbangs. He was, kind of like, he was going all out. He was like, I'm going to hit him with everything we got, including the car. That's Run guy, through the bank and then throw the guy. Sounds like a kid. <laughs> like, that's the kind of guy I'll, I'll go to war with, man. He's, he's, the, fuck it, he's the fuck it guy. Yeah, man, you got to have one of them. Fuck it. He's not going to make it out alive. Might as well. Okay, so then I said, what do you mean you don't know what you want? When they were like, hey, they did the negotiation thing. They're like, what do you want? And he's like, I don't know what I, oh no, they wasn't, it was Elliot. That's like, they're going to ask you what you want. He's like, I don't know what I want. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You want $300,000. You want some money. That was what this whole thing was about. What do you mean you don't know what you want? And then I said, you literally kidnapped your sister for money. I would start there. And then he like gets on like, on his like, dad's and his mom's ass about loving their sister more or whatever. I was like, yeah, because she's not a cokehead. They're like, why are you upset? You, they loved you. They tried to help you in every way they could. But you were addicted to drugs. Hostages are being released fairly easily. He really didn't put up a fight on anything. But Elliot Warner and the dad because he can't be moved. So the dad can't be moved. So then they're all like, well, I guess we're staying. Yeah. And then I said, well, now he's being logical. Because now he's kind of starting to de-escalate. And was like, well, I'm not going to get out of here. And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. You're not going to get out of here. You shot up a bank. And then I said, I do feel a little bad because he clearly loves his dad and didn't mean to shoot him. Man, that all went out the window, man. That's what I said. Damn that. I mean, shout out to his dad for still loving him and saying it's going to be okay. But damn him. He can't go. And as always, he ends it by suicide by cop. 
I feel like that's like always one of the either when when you have a bank robber in a TV show like this, it's one or two things. They're gonna go out suicide by cop. They're just gonna walk out of the bank shooting so that they're shot or with their gun raised, or they really just try to negotiate their way out of it and panic and get aggressive with like the hostages and this and that. There's like the two ways. You know what I wonder is as far as negotiations go, because I feel like they're all they're all set up. So we just tell them we're gonna give them what they want, and then but but we don't. I wonder yeah. is like is there instances where people actually get what they want? Like is that an actual thing, or is it always just some like a it's a ploy to draw them out? Like people, I'm gonna have, like, have to look that up. Like people yeah. think I want to I want a car all the way to Mexico. I don't want anybody. I don't want to see anybody on the road. Yeah. Hey man, that, that's, that's what that is for. That's what yeah, like, that's for. It, like it never it never happens. So I wonder Wait, if there's. What, any... You really think they're gonna? Okay, so you really think they're gonna let you just have a car and go to Mexico and they're gonna try to do something about it? Because I feel like it had to be a thing where it had to have happened at least once, or else they wouldn't always do it. Or unless criminals are just always that dumb. I don't know. Because even if they gave you a car, they obviously bugged it. Like, they're not just going to be like, okay, here's your car. Have a nice trip to Mexico. Don't worry. I'll have an answer for you guys next week about negotiations. I'll do my research. (laughs) (laughs) Or tries to do suicide by a cop until Warner shoots him in the leg, saving his life. She's a badass. I was thinking that shot hurt like a bitch getting shot in the calf. That's got to sting. I mean, you can't really blame the mom, can you? I don't know. Apparently, she said something at the end. Like, I guess she was. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she was. What to say know. to him or like yeah. how to look at him? I'm like, well, you really can't blame her. Her freaking son thought kidnapped her daughter and shot her husband. Yeah. I'm not sure I would know what to say either. She's definitely more done with him than the dad is. Yeah. But you can still see that she cares, like, she loves him, but she's just, like, she's almost just exhausted of trying to figure out what she can do. Obviously, it was the breaking point for her. Yeah. Yeah. And then I ended it by saying, I bet Warner is a cool mom. She said, I gotta go pick up the kids from school. All right, well, I'm going to tell you the sad story. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm really bad at trigger warnings. I always forget to do them before the episode. But if you, I always put them in the show captions, if there's any. Really, it was like the first episode. And then at this last episode, episode five. Um, but I am trigger warning this one. The death of a child. It's gruesome. This is a very gruesome one. Um, and I haven't done, like, a truly gruesome case yet, so let's see how I can say all these things out loud, how it goes. But I'm gonna tell you a story about the kidnapping-turned-murder of Marion Parker. This is kind of an infamous one. It's a big case. A lot of people know it. A lot of big podcasts cover it. So let's get into it. We're we're in 1927's old Hollywood, Los Angeles, baby. So I love a good like 20s Hollywood LA story. It just seems like a fun era to be living there. And our story starts on December 15th, 1927. Mary Holt was doing her her usual tasks as a school registrar at Mount Vernon Junior High. In Los Angeles, when a well-dressed man approached her, 
he informed her that his boss, Perry Parker, had been in a horrible car accident that left him injured, and Perry sent him to retrieve his youngest daughter to be by his side. This was odd to Mary, as Perry Parker's youngest daughter was a twin. And both attended school at M Mount Vernon. She asked the man, which daughter? He seemed stunned and quickly answered Marion. Mary summoned Marion and re released her to the custody of what she thought was Perry Parker's employee. However, when Marjorie, Marion's twin, came home without her twin that day, Geraldine was in an immediate panic. Geraldine, being the mother of Marjorie and Marion, was in immediate panic, calling friends looking for her 12-year-old daughter. The panic soon turned to outright fear when the Parkers received the first telegram, which came from Pasadena, that read, this is a quote, Do positively nothing till you receive special delivery letter. Signed, Marion Parker. This was followed sh shortly by a second telegram from Alhambra. I had not heard of it, but apparently somewhere near Italy. That read, Marion secure, use good judgment, interference with my plans dangerous. This was signed George Fox. In a frenzy, Perry Parker, who had not been in a car accident, called the school demanding answers. Mary Holt explained the encounter with the man saying she never would have, quote, this is a quote, never would have let Marion go but for the apparent sincerity and disarming manner of the man. He was a nice guy. I believed him. At this moment, Perry's worst fears were confirmed. His 12-year-old daughter, Marion, had been kidnapped. Perry immediately called the police who were on it in a get-go because in the 1920s, quote, or this is not a quote, I just put it in quotation marks, because in the 1920s, oh, maybe she just ran away was not a scenario they knew of. That excuse, that waiting 48 hours or whatever, did not exist in the 1920s. The kid is missing. Oh, we are on it. They clearly did not just run away. Geraldine gave the police Marion's description. Four, four foot six inches, about a hundred pounds. She was last seen wearing an English print dress, brown Oxford shoes, and tan stockings. Her hair was dark brown, straight, and then and ended at her jawline. And also the great thing is, is she was an identical twin, so she looked they had an exact replica standing next to them. What their daughter looked like. Mary Holt gave a description of the well-dressed man that's white between 25 and 30 in age. 5 foot 8 inches and 150 pounds. Okay. So when people give descriptions and they're like, um, he was like 150 pounds. How do they know that? That's like the detail. I, they, someone was like, well... How much did he weigh? I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. He was, he was lean. He was skinny. He was, he had big muscles. I don't. That's how I would describe him. I wouldn't know what weight to say. Do I look like a scale? I think people just got an eye for that kind of thing, you know. I know you can just look at someone and be like, uh, yeah, he looks like one eighty. 
we had a coach in high school. I think he had an eye for that kind of thing. Coach Fells, Aaron. He saw you up real nice. Was he accurate? <laughs> I think so. So he was last seen wearing a heavy grayish brown overcoat, black shoes, and a dark hat. The police turned around and gave the descriptions to the press to print. They were on it. This was all in one day. Every officer was ordered to help in the search for Marion, but all the Parkers could do was agonizingly wait. Until the next day, December 16, 1927, they received a ransom note that read, quote, this is a long one, but bear with me. This is all a quote. Use good judgment. You are the loser. Do this. Secure $75-$20 gold certificate. U.S. currency of $1,500 at once. Keep them, at your per- keep them on your person. Go about your daily business as usual. Leave out police and detectives. Make no public notice. Keep this affair private. Make no search. Fulfilling these terms with the transfer of the currency will secure the return of the girl. Failure to comply with those requests means no one will ever see the girl again except the angels in heaven. The affair must end one way or the other within three days, 72 hours. You will receive further notice, but the terms remain the same. Signed fate with a postscript note that read, quote, if you want aid against me, ask God, not men, quote, which honestly, that's a, that's a pretty scary line. That's kind of a good line. I would have stopped reading the ransom. I'm going to be honest. I was like, what does what, what this have to get this much or she dies? Wait till further instructions. Okay, so 1927, $1,500. How much would that be today? Uh, 30, 40. Hey, Rod. I'll say about. Let me go forty nine thousand. It was twenty six thousand. Sure, should have sat at thirty. Which, like, honestly, is not that much money for a daughter's life. No, not that you can have it. Like, I, I feel like that's one of the ransom amounts that's pretty doable. You know how we talk about how some of them, it's like. You're never going to get that money because it's literally impossible to just get it from the bank. I feel like this one's pretty possible. Like, you could definitely. You can get it. Yeah. yeah. And a lot more people carried cash back then. So the bank would naturally mm-hmm. have more cash. In it. Yeah. At the top of the letter was the word death spelled in Greek letters and the rest of the words handwritten in different. Okay. So I looked at the actual letter. So you, and at the top, you had Greek letters death. And the rest of it was handwritten, but it was in all different types of fonts. So it's not like the magazine ones where they cut out the different letters and glue them. This one is literally like handwriting. And then the first words will be like cursive and the next ones will be block letters. I mean, it was like all over the place. It was a lot of work. Two more notes followed. One revealed, or one revealed, two more notes followed. One read, quote, get this straight. Your daughter's life hangs by a thread, and I have a Gillette ready and able to handle this situation. It was signed Fox Fate. 
This dude like to what? communicate. Like a razor. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, you had it right. He mentioned I, the brand immediately. I didn't even know what that was. He got a sponsor so. shit. He got a sponsor shit. Terrible. The other of the two notes was from Marion pleading for help with a postscript that read, quote, Daddy, please do what this man tells you or he will kill me if you don't. Your your loving daughter, Marion Parker. Finally, the instructions Perry had been waiting for came. Okay, this is what's crazy to me. This man sent a bunch of random letters that he doesn't really need to send. Like, he sent, like, a letter or two before he even sent the ransom instructions. Just saying, I have your daughter. Like, no shit, you have my daughter. Or I don't knew that from the first one. And then he said, he demand, he sent his demands. Then he sent two more, and then he sent the instructions. Like, the more you communicate, the more chance you have to get caught. Yeah. So, finally, the instructions Perry had been waiting for came. The fox told Perry to meet him at 10th Street. And Graham C. Place. Perry, the ba- the clerk of the bank's chief. So he worked at a bank, which is why he was targeted. So he was the clerk of the bank's chief, gathered the money, and rushed to the meeting place, where he saw his daughter in the front seat of a coupe, a Chrysler coupe, with a man. However, the car abruptly sped off when it was spooked by a cop. These cops really be messing up these ransoms. The security guard in their episode, the cop in this one, they really be messing up these ransom drops. So, they had coops back in the day? Back in... Chrysler Coop. It's... More letters ensued to the Parker house, blaming Perry for the botched attempt but assuring him his daughter was alive. But we're still sending those letters. In another letter, the kidnapper gave Perry more instructions to wait for a telephone call and not to involve police. On December 17th, at 7.35pm, the Parker's phone rang. The voice on the other end told Perry to meet him at West 5th Street and South Manhattan Place, ASAP. Perry made it to the location by 8 p.m. was met by a man in a Chrysler coupe pointing a shotgun at Perry outside the window. Okay, so Perry pulled up, and then that car pulled up next to him. So they're like, and he's like pointing the gun out the window next to each other. The man wearing a bandana got straight to the cut straight to the point and said, "You know, you know what I'm here for. You know what I'm here for? No monkey business." Perry responded, What? Why is the guy with monkey boots? No, well, I think that was the thing. That's yeah. more than you like stick in the mud thing for. Hey, yo, no, no monkey business. <laughs> no, no monkey business. Perry responded, Can I see my daughter? The man pointed to Marion in the passenger seat, slumped over. The man said, She's sleeping. And Perry assumed she was chloroformed. 
With confirmation of his daughter, Perry handed over the money, and immediately after the handoff, the coop drove away, not before pushing Marion out a little way up. So they drove like 200 feet, stopped, pushed Marion out, and just kept going. Perry rushed to his sleeping daughter, not over, not even putting his car in park. When he picked Marion up and held her, he noticed her pale skin, and then Perry screamed out in anguish. Marion was missing all of her limbs. And Perry's youngest twin had been murdered. Yeah, I told you, it gets gruesome. We're not even wait, 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 wait. So, she was missing all her body, like her limbs. Arms and legs. Her torso was in it. Who else? He, like, this wrapped her up. No, this. He, like, wrapped her up in a blanket and stuff so that when Perry looked in, you wouldn't have noticed. Oh, that she had died. Okay, that's... All right. Yeah. So, he didn't notice until he had, like, unwrapped her from, like, the blanket. He was holding her. Yeah. Which, I mean, horrific. Like, that is traumatic. That's setting up... Holding your daughter looking down. That's setting up a, a haunting story right there. The, fo- the police were called and Marion was taken to Dr. A. E. Wagner... For an autopsy, he was not aware that the little girl under the blanket on his table was his neighbor. And when he pulled it back, he was very shocked and stunned. After the initial shock, he continued with the autopsy. Okay, this is where it's going to get gruesome. So, if you're listening and don't want to hear it, just like fast forward 20 seconds or you can stop. Ready, I'm ready. Okay, you ready? He found not only had her limbs been removed, but her torso had been stuffed, like everything in it had been pulled out, and her torso had been stuffed with rags, and her eyes were sewn open to make it look like she was alive. Oh. He determined she had been dead for around 12 hours, so she was probably alive during the first drop. There was no sexual assault and no drugs in her system. In the meantime, a massive panic happened, not just the authorities, but by the press and public on a national scale. Like I said, this was like, this was nationally. Everyone was scared because things like this just hadn't happened before. A child mutilated in such a grotesque way. People were scared of a maniac on the loose and fearful for their children. They stopped sending them to school. Newspaper ra- newspapers and radio stations made appeals for information. The reward money had grown to 60000 in just a day. Okay, 60000 in 1927. Who's up first? Say, close to 700K. Okay, here are. I'll go about uh, one seventy-five. One million seventy-five? No. What did Willie say? One hundred and seventy-five k, or he said three hundred k, right? I said six hundred k. A Rod saying one hundred seventy-five thousand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's one million. Penny, I just said what with the million. <laughs> So the reward money had grown to what a billion million dollars in one day. Even Mexico was in order to predict 
so-called fogs to flee into their country. The largest manhunt in West Coast history ensued with 20,000 police officers and thousands of citizens on the hunt for a man matching Mary Holt's description. The next day on December 18th, while walking through Ellison Park, some people noticed bundles of newspaper wrapped up and five Marion's missing limbs. Oh. The coroner gave the police their first lead. One of the towels stuffed into Marion's body was labeled Bellevue Arms Apartment. The police immediately did a room-by-room search, and a tenant, and one tenant fit Mary Holt's description. His name was Donald Evans, and he gladly invited the police to search his apartment, even commenting, quote, hope they catch the fiend, end quote. However, Donald Evans was never seen again after this room search. On December 20th, the coop was found abandoned. The owner had reported the car stolen from Kansas City, Missouri. But it was the pr- but it was the prints lifted from the car that led them to the name of the culprit. William Edward Hickman. Hickman was born and raised in Kansas City and started committing crimes at the young age of 11 when he stole candy. But at the age of 16, he escalated to forgery, armed robbery, and murder with his friend and accomplished, Welby Hearn. In 1946, the pair did what all adventurous teens do. Even in the 20s, and especially today, they moved to the bright city of L.A. for better opportunities. L.A.? Everyone moves to L.A. so they can get things. Not. I want to be in the pictures. People still move to LA all the time because that's where the that's like influencer central. That's true. I mean, I feel like they move and then everyone says it sucks. Yeah, they lived with Hunt's grandparents in Alhambra on Christmas Eve, aka Arod's birthday, from nineteen twenty six. The pair did what they did best and held up a drugstore. But things went south and the cops came before they could make their get away. A shootout followed that killed the pharmacist and injured a cop. They got away but decided that green law was the best idea, which meant they had to get actual jobs. They got away from the shootout and they had this conversation. I'm sure of it. I don't know for sure if this is how it went, but in my head, this is how it went. Got away from a shootout. And Hickman turned to Hyatt and was like, what are we going to do? We're going to lay low. And Hyatt was like, okay, let's lay low. We still need money, though. What are we, how are we going to get money? Hickman's like, I don't know. Do you think we should get a job? And Hunt's like, yeah, that's probably for the best for now to lay low until we can't commit more crimes to get money. And then we won't have to have jobs. Or he he's had the job the whole time and never commit crimes and just have money. But I'm glad that that was what they decided lay low was getting actual jobs. They got jobs as messengers for a bank, the same bank Perry worked at. But they couldn't keep the current bug down for long. On May 24, 1927, Hunt's grandfather was found dead under Pasadena's Colorado Street Bridge. 
he had just withdrawn a large sum of money. The money was gone. Do you know what was left? The body. Five suicide notes. In two different handwritings. But the, do they not think that's suspicious? Why would you ever leave five suicide notes? And then why would you both write them? So now it's different handwriting. <laughs> that was the whole thing was dumb. I was like, well, clearly he didn't. If I walked into a crime scene, they're like, well, they think it's a suicide, and then there's five suicide notes. I'd be like, no, this is not a suicide. <laughs> Tell me. In June of 1927, Hickman was caught forging $400 worth of checks. Not only was he fired, but he was convicted and sentenced to probation. Perry Parker testified against Hickman in this trial. Fingerprints found on numerous letters sent to the Parker's house from the kidnapper confirmed William Hickman was their guy. Hickman's mugshot, mugshot was sent was all over newspapers nationwide. And knowing the target made the country hungrier for blood. AA were out to find Hickman. A man that looked identical to Hickman was arrested seven times in eight hours. And finally asked if he could just stay in jail. <laughs> I would be so annoyed. I would I like I after like the first three I wouldn't have left my house. <laughs> Another man that shared the resemblance was attacked by an Avery mob. The police brought him to the jail for his own protection, but it didn't stop him from hating himself. So even just like the weight of the resemblance and what this this led this man. They looked for him in Kansas City at his mom's. They looked for him in El Paso at his dad's. But he wasn't at either. Where was the fox? At this time, the landlady also confirmed that William Hickman was Donald Evans at Bellevue Arms Apartments when she saw his mugshot. They did another sweep of the apartment and found bloody footprints and partially burnt letters and then in newspapers clippings about the kidnapping. They interviewed the janitor. He said on the night of the 16th, he saw Hickman carrying out bundles of newspaper to his car. The next day, he saw him washing out his car. So the police had it. He was there. They kind of looked at his apartment, but they missed the bloody footprints. They missed all these other things they found later. They suck. They had them. I mean, granted, they didn't really know who they were looking for, but obviously, you have a guy that fits the description. And then for him to say, casually, I hope you catch the fiend as they're searching his apartment. How cool, calm, and collected is this guy to know that he did it? Say that and just walk away. Finally, a break came when a gas station attendant recognized Hickman at an Oregon gas station driving a green Hudson sedan. 
on December 21st, Hickman was spotted in Seattle after one of the $20 gold certificates was used to buy winter clothing. Knowing he was in the Pacific Northwest, everyone was on high alert. You know, officers, Gurdane and Liv Allen, they spotted Hickman while on their break in Echo, Oregon. He was still driving that stolen sedan. A mediocre car chase ensued, but the officers were quickly driving alongside Hickman and pointing their gun at him. He nonchalantly pulled over. Upon arrest, Hickman didn't struggle. He shrugged his shoulders and said, Well, I guess it's over. <laughs> at 19, he's only 19 years old. He confessed to the kidnappings of Marion, to the kidnapping and murder of Marion Parker. Well, he confessed to the kidnapping. However, he blamed the death on a man named Andrew Kramer. But Kramer was incarcerated during Marion's murder, so they're pretty sure he just made this up. I should say the theory killer, Andrew Kramer? There's a serial killer, Andrew Kramer? Um, 90% sure. Let's look it up, shall we? I don't know. I didn't know that. I just knew that he blamed all on this guy. He was apparently his friend, and that guy's in jail. Would you not think to be like, why would you? Do you not think they're going to fact check that? And you're going to be like, let's go get Andrew Kramer now? And he's going to be like, oh, I've been in jail for a few months now. So, yeah, I just thought that was just stupid. I don't know. This is like one of those things where people that commit crimes, they lie about the most stupid things. Like, you don't think they're going to fact check that? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're going to go look to see what he's doing. He's going to have the perfect alibi. He's already in jail. An LA officer traveled to Oregon to extradite Hickman back to California. On the way home, Hickman asked, What do the people of California want with me? The officer responded bluntly, They want your lie, rightfully or wrong- wrongfully. Rightly or wrongly, they want. That's what they want. And with a smirk, he asked, Was it any worse than what Leopold and Leob did? Did y'all, did y'all know who Leopold and Leob did? No. They were another famous, infamous murder case back in the early 20s in Chicago. It's like one of the most infamous trials because they come from like a wealthy family and essentially they just thought that they were smart and I'm I know they'll come up because I know exactly the episode that it matches with. So at some point I'll tell the story in full, but essentially they were in Chicago and they wanted to commit the perfect crime. They wanted to see if they can murder someone and get away with it. It's the whole motive behind what they did. Um, or at least that's what one of them and I think the other one was in love with him, so then they were just like, Okay, I think that's how it goes. But they kidnapped this kid and murdered him. And then obviously they were caught. But it was so sensational. Nothing had happened like that. The famous case, these boys came from a wealthy family. Everyone was so shocked that there was like really no motive behind it. Besides just wanting to kill someone. Um, So it's very famous. So essentially what he's asking is. And what people like all the sources I said. Or I read said was that he was really hoping that this would be an infamous case like Leopold and Leo that he would be just as infamous as they were 
people would know his name just as much as they know that those names. So that's what his concern was. What's with is the press gonna is the press gonna cover me? Am I gonna be famous? William wrote a confession in which he detailed the kidnapping and murder. When Hickman took Marion from the school, he told her she was being kidnapped, and she treated it like an adventure. She didn't really know what that meant. He said after the first botch ransom, he tied her to a kitchen chair. She was crying, and she wouldn't stop, so he strangled her with a distal. When he thought she was dead, he took her to the bathtub, started cutting. That's also gruesome or sad, or hard to, so skip 20 seconds. But if if you're here, I'm sorry. He took her to the bathtub and started cutting, but as he started, she kind of came too. So he thinks she might have been alive in the bathtub where he dismembered her. Did they test him for mental illnesses? Oh, Oh, we're going to get into it, Malik. Oh, you just wait. This is why this is kind of like an interesting story in history. He stated his motive was that he wanted money to go to college. The new Perry wouldn't pay if she was dead. So he tried to make her look alive. Well, he sewed her eyes open. Hickman's trial started on January 25th, 1928, and not only was it a circus because of the media, but also because Hickman would be one of the first to use the not guilty by reason of insanity defense in the state. This law had only come into place one year prior. It was new. He was going to be one of the first to use it for his crimes. Hickman had started prodding his defense since Oregon, asking the guard there, quote, wonder if I can pretend that I was crazy. How does a fellow act when he is crazy? He quote. In L.A., he began acting erratically. He mumbled to himself and pretended he couldn't hear people when they were talking to him. Hickman was also, cl- uh, Hickman also claimed that a supernatural deity named Providence told him to kill so he was packing it on. He was building it. He said, I know what my defense will be. So I'm going to start from the beginning. He wrote to another inmate, quote, I've got to smell a fit in court, dot, 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 a laughing, screaming, that, I, I mean act, dot, dot, dot. The trial was a spectacle. Everyone wanted to see a mob had gathered outside the courthouses. Mog gathered inside trying to get in. The seats were being reserved for the judge's wife and political friends. Newspaper headlines read, Well, Hickman must hang. Even the author author of Tarzan was there reporting on the trial. The defense called witnesses, including experts that evaluated Hickman and claimed he wasn't there. They even called Hickman's mom, who testified. And Sandy ran in the family. The prosecution called their witnesses, that were also experts, but Clinton Hickman was sane. They even called witnesses like the Garden Organ that Hickman asked how to act crazy. That's a pretty good witness. In the finale of the trial on February 9th, 
1928, the jury deliberated for a year. How long do you think the jury deliberated? 15 minutes. Did I say a year? Because it sounded like you said a year. I said a mere. Oh, a mere. And one day. 43 minutes. 2,000 people gathered for the reading of the verdict. How... What do you think the verdict comes out to be? What's your guess? Mm, not guilty by reason of insane. Not guilty, era. Guilty, life, death penalty. He was saying and would hang. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they were still doing that in the twenties. They made a special. They made a special occasion for him. How they were still like just saying people got the old noose for them. <laughs> yeah. like, they no longer did it in the middle of town, but oh, no, no, not the not the old noose from the old days. Benjamin tried to appeal, but to no avail. The little time he spent in jail before he hanged, he found Catholicism and wrote apology letters. On October twenty ninth, nineteen twenty eight, Hickman. Ate a last meal of what do you think his last meal was? Cheese burgers, steaks. I don't know. Probably something. He sounds like a weird guy. Probably something. Something like simple. Because I don't think they had cheeseburgers in the twenties. Like he probably ate like was it McDonald's? He probably probably, he probably ate like soup and crackers or chicken noodle soup and crackers, some random stuff. Twenties and McDonald's started popping. He had a meal of a chicken dinner and listened to records. Soon guards walked him throughout the prison and up 13 steps where he could see a mass of reporters and people that had come to watch him hang. Then the black hood went on and the trap door opened and Hangman had officially received the punishment for his crimes. Good. In 1928, Anne ran do y'all know who that is? No. Nah. She's a very famous author. I've read some of hers in high school. I think she's controversial in what she believes. Remember, I don't know the whole history, so I will not say whether I support her or not, because I do, don't know that much. But I do think there's controversy around her writing, because they're very... Um, there's those books that you they gave you in like AP English classes in high school. That were weird. I just remember it being weird, but there's obviously some deeper government, not government, but like political thing behind it. But in 1928, she began planning the workings of a novel called The Little Street, which featured a protagonist modeled after Hickman. Can be the hero of her story. Later, explaining her fascination with his psychology, book never came to fruition. And that is the horribly sad story of the kidnapping turned murder of Marion Parker. All right, what y'all think? That was, that was the gruesome Willie Kins. Yeah, you know, it was gruesome. Yeah, I saw ask her or something. Yeah, now I have nightmares. Yeah, don't we all? 
Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the differences and similarities between the Law and Order episode and this one. Well, I think the main thing they get cut up. <laughs> yeah, no body. Nice. Yeah, the one in Law Order lived. No. But it was still a no. guy. They both both the dads worked at the bank. No forty freaking notes. Yeah, he loved drawing notes. So, like, do you really think he was insane? Like, he had some sort of a defense. Oh, I think he was definitely crazy. I wouldn't like let him off because of it, but I do think there's people that are that are crazy. But they know, like they know that like, right and wrong, but there's something that not doesn't. I think everyone is insane in their own way. You know, later he added later after I think like right before he died or or soon after, or soon before, he said he added one of the reasons he killed her is because he got tired of finding her in the room where I kept her. You could let her go if it's annoying you that much that she's there. Well, she's there because you kidnapped her and tied her to a chair. Where is she going to go? Yeah. So that's the thing where they don't have, like, emotion, emotions. Is it, like, a sociopath? Or is it... Yeah, it's psych- oh. No, I don't know. Psychopath. I think it's psychopath, the one that doesn't have, like, any emotion. Or, or both. I think sociopaths are just sadists. I'll find out. But, like, I don't think he was insane. Because I was reading about this law, and you have to prove that they were insane at the time of the crime. I don't think he was insane. I think his plane wasn't working the way he had hoped. I think this girl is annoying him, and he doesn't know what to do. And in the moment, he just got so mad, he strangled her. Then he was like, oh, shit, I killed her. Or what he thought killed her, took her to the bathtub, and it was like, what am I going to do? I don't was it insane. I think he made it all up trying to get the insanity defense. Yeah. See, I don't think people should, like, get off for being insane, but I think a lot of people are insane who do stuff like that. Yeah, and they don't, like, even if they find you insane, they don't just, like, let you go. We'll be like, oh, that's okay. They just put you in a different, you know, institution to get you treatment. I just don't think he has insane. I'm reading near what he did. He could just be well calculated. Just so stress. We may never know. I mean, we do know the, the jury of his peers found him guilty. They knew. They could have been lying to hang him. That's the other thing. Is that he's that's, uh, yeah, I, it would be, I, I didn't find, like, a lot of information about the trial, but it would be interesting, like, jury selection and all that, one, how do they do it in their 20s, but also, the whole world knew this case, and they knew Hickman's picture, and they, everyone wanted him dead. Yeah. So, should so how do you find a jury of his peers that haven't already made their dis- up a decision that he did, that he did it? You don't. It just is what it is to me, I guess. And then you can about it. Yeah, I mean, obviously he did it. They had all the physical evidence to prove it. Crazy case. But it did share several similarities with 
Because again, it's SBU, so this one was kind of directly based off of this case, Marianne Parker's case. So they took the premise of it and then did what they want with it. See. Anything else? Nope. Are y'all ready to hear the episode we're watching next? Next up, we're watching NCIS, the normal one. NCIS. Season 5, Episode 8, Designated Target. You can find it on Netflix or Paramount. Ooh, I had both. All right. With that, I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman. This is Crime on Bronze Time, and we are signing off. Do <laughs>